0: Hello and welcome to the Hustle Over Everything podcast. This is the podcast where you receive stories, tips, and strategies from entrepreneurs to grow your business and take yourself to the next level as a person. Today in the podcast, we have Julie Wiener. She's the founder of Granulous. Granulous is a sinfully addictive collection of premium granola made with the finest vegan and gluten free ingredients. Uh, through the show, you'll learn about the brand how she grew her product to more retailers and grew the distribution to direct to consumer markets. It's a really great pod. Owen, what'd you think of it?
1: Yo, what's up, Al? You know, I love this podcast and I really love Julie's energy. And I I like when you guys hear this episode, you're really going to take in Julie's energy and how infectious she is. Uh, It is, uh, you know, she talks about her love for what she does, uh, her her journey into her business. I mean, this, like, she's a great storyteller. Like the whole time, like I was listening to this, her, you know, when we're talking to her, it was like, when she was talking, I could picture her in my head. And it was like, I was picturing this movie, you know, she never left a detail out. So um, one of the things that that stood out in this thing is her energy, man. So I really enjoyed that. And just like seeing how her idea, not really her idea, but just something that she did on the regular turned into like a business and and that's an actual brand and it's, it's in stores. So a lot of people like they have jobs and they have something that they do on the side and, you know, it ends up taking off just, I don't know. And you did not mean for it to take, uh, to take off. And this is one of those stories that you hear that those are the things that actually happen. So uh, I loved hearing her story and there's a lot of gems in this and building a brand and, you know, getting an insight in how Julie thinks about branding and, and trying to do things differently in an in industry that has been conventionally the same the way they do things and uh, how to really make a great product and and just thinking different about brand and strategy and how to really make a a great, great product for a particular market that has been doing the same thing over and over and just coming in there disrupting it. So it was a solid, solid listen, bro, for me
0: i couldn't agree more yeah man i think it's a great pod in that regard um she really was good at telling the story for one and it was very honest you know so i appreciate that when you're interviewing somebody really going in depth of what her wins was and what her losses were and what some of the lessons were you know so Mm -hmm. i really liked uh the the pod and um i think what the listeners will get is one the how she differentiated herself in the market you know, so th- th- guys, listen closely to these specific points that she made us. How she differentiated herself, how she went about um, competition. You know, that was very interesting. Um, yeah. And how she dealt with pivoting through COVID. I think she made a lot of interesting moves that um we could all learn from in growing a business, you know, during the specific time, especially if you're an e- e- e-commerce or not even e-commerce or retail focused brand. There's a lot of lessons there. So um, actually it kind of reminded me of, um, of, um. True Local, you know, because um, all of the things that he's doing now is kind of like what uh, she is pivoting towards, you know, of get going to somebody who has box brands that's sending them to read to customers, you know, so. Um, and True Local is coming on the pod, too, so I can't wait to have him on. It's going to be a great pod. Yeah,
1: I can't wait to hear that story, too.
0: Yeah, it sounds it sounds like, um, incredible. But, yeah, man, how are you doing, though, otherwise, man?
1: I'm doing great, man. I mean, uh, still in Sarnia and um, working on the business with you. And, you know, it's kind of like my way away from Toronto. And, you know, actually speaking about Toronto, I was telling you earlier, I've been really looking at penthouses, you know, and um, just dreaming of owning like a a nice penthouse loft, two-story, not yet, two-story loft in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And you know what's interesting about this, bro, is like the reason I want to have it in Toronto, like first out of any other city is because you know toronto represents the grind for me right Mm -hmm. i mean we went to ryerson we worked hard at ryerson to graduate um living in toronto i've done so many jobs in toronto from like retail working at the eaton center uh doing door-to-door sales early in university um doing like street canvassing i remember working for Red cross like doing like the thing like you know where you know like with those people like they have like i am a girl type of thing mm-hmm. so i remember like when i was looking for a job i was so desperate and i needed to to work and red cross was the first thing i found so i remember like being on every street in toronto like king west queen street dundas um portland street uh adelaide university whatever street you can think of i mean i was there like with the red cross like hustling trying to get people's attention to you know, to get them to donate. And, you know, I'm, I'm really thankful for that time because it really helped my scale skills. It learned me how to stop someone in the street, get their attention, communicate succinctly of what we're doing, what we want to do, and get them in that second to trust you, believe in you, and also get that donation, right? So it really works in your salesmanship. So I came up with a bunch of killer one-liners to get one person's attention. Uh, you know, what worked with certain people, if they're on their phone, if they're in a rush, if they, get, you, you heard all types of excuses. But, I say that to say this, I mean, I've worked every type of job in Toronto that you can possibly think of. I've done jobs in the gym as a salesperson. So over the past couple of days, I've been in this rabbit hole of just looking at Toronto penthouse lofts, right? And I am determined to get one one day. It's not, I dream, it's like, I will get one. And the reason is because I think for me, this is going to signify like making it, uh, in Toronto, right? Because like lived in basement, a basement apartment, you know, it's at the bottom of the house, right? So moving on up to the penthouse, it's like, you know, and you can see the views of the city. That to me is everything because as I, as I sit, as I imagine myself being in that place, I can look out on my balcony and I can look at the city and I can know that Like I did what I had to do to get here. I've worked every single job. I've worked every night, retail, whatever job it is. I've gone to school here. I've built a business here. And now this is like my reward to, to, you know, for myself, like all these years, it's built up to this moment, like a nice, beautiful condo. Like, bro, there's this, there's this one loft in the Shangri-La it's like $10 million. It's, it's so good. It's, it's amazing. So imagine being at the Shangri-La right there on Adelaide and it's like a, it's a sick, sick view. And you look down and you can be like, yeah, I remember when I was working for the Red Cross back in like 2013. And I used to like be trying to stop people right on that street right there for donations. Right. And then, I, and I look at where I'm at at that point and that's like hustle over everything right there, man. You feel me?
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I've just been dreaming about that, man. Dreaming about getting there one day and uh, writing these goals down and that's just a, a path to make it happen, you know? So that to me, I like I'm going to live in other cities, but I have to conquer Toronto. I cannot let cr- Toronto conquer me. And I feel like Toronto conquers a lot of people so because it's an expensive city it's like it eats it's young you know you're you're just getting like the whole grind of things so i have to conquer toronto i have to establish myself in there uh and this to me by owning and being on top of the city like literally is gonna be like the sweet vindication for me that i've been working towards all these years so that's how i've been doing
0: man Awesome man, that's a great dream to have. That's a good dream to have. Um I right, I got a question for you though. So what happens after?
1: What happens after? So I get the crib. And and um when I get the crib, I get the crib. You know, I live my life. I I also want to drive a a dope car. So I wanna have a a Rolls Royce and um The Rolls Royce is just for like bringing out here and there, but I want to have like a Ferrari just to like drive around town just to like, that's like my getting around whip. So once that happens, it happens. And I, and I, and I reach for the next destination for myself for the next goal. Um, Continue doing things. I think that for me is like my personal gift for me, but Mm -hmm. the main goal is always the business, like scaling it to like go to the global stage for me, just the house is the fact that I can sit up there and I can like look above the city from being at the bottom, like living in a basement apartment with like three other guys and whatever? That is like, that is like what I've been working for towards all these years. It's not gonna be a significance of like happiness because I'm already happy, right? I'm already like a happy individual. But mm-hmm. this is just one thing that I want to do to prove to myself, like, yo, you worked, you worked so hard and you got to this level, and now you own this beautiful home and downtown toronto and you're doing it you know so I hear you. yeah I hear you, man. do you do you yeah. have any do you have crazy dreams like that or thoughts like that
0: i have a perfect day you know um i, I don't really have a perfect uh like spot that i want to live in you know I, i've lived in a condo all my life and i realized that all of it's overrated you know mm-hmm. in terms of like condo life um penthouse is a condo you know so like for instance the elevators in the condos can suck sometimes you know um and the penthouse is a long way down you know from a penthouse you bro, know? that's why
1: you have a private you have a private uh elevator bro
0: even still even still um like when you have a private elevator if that breaks you're fucked you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying and uh, then you got to wait and you got to take the stairs down from from the penthouse floor you know what i'm saying cuz like I, I my mom lives in the, in the 17th floor of her building, you know, mm-hmm. um, the, it's definitely not a, a private elevator, but um, taking the stairs down and like, so basically she does what there's the only, the only floor above her. was like the lower penthouse than the penthouse, right? Mm-hmm. Someone went, got drunk and went home and passed out in her tub and turned the tub on and the tub leaked out over the whole shit and went down four floors and almost, and almost touched hers. But that shit ruined the elevator, ruined, like, like a whole bunch of, like, mechanics in the building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that really, like, was an a awakening moment. To be like, yo, this shit is not as fa- fly as it sounds, to, as it cracks up to be. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. one false move and taking the stairs down 17 floors or how many other floors. And if it's a penthouse, probably going to be, like, 30, maybe 40 floors. Bro, that is annoying as hell. And little things like getting out of the garage in the the morning, unless you have a private garage, which you usually don't have. It's usually an actual um, shared garage, you know? Um, So the things like that, like, like, you know, like put things into reality of it, you know? But um, I still want to live in a um, nice condo. You know, I I actually like condos versus houses, but like uh, I'll probably actually live on a lower floor, you know mm. just because of the easy access oh, man, I live on the, on the third floor right now and it is so much better than living on a 12th floor the view ain't like is pretty good like it, it, I've lived on like I told you 17th floor I've lived on the 12th floor I've been in hotels with like 30 40 50 floors mm-hmm. like that and the view, views last like a month. Like, like, actual, like, a view from a, a the, 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 let me break it down. A view from the 30th floor mm-hmm. to the 6th floor, if it's the same actual space with nothing blocking it, that yeah. difference doesn't hit us that isn't as much of a hit. Versus, from what I realized, like, from living on both aspects of it and being there, it's not as much of a difference. Mm. And, um, so I'm like, man. And then being able to just walk out of the house whenever you want and just, like quick access to, to, to downtown or to the street, to walk, run, go for go for jogs, man, it's so much easier, especially in the morning time when you're just trying to, trying to leave and you're going to go down all these floors and meet with people in the morning. If I can have a quick exit out, oh, goodness. <laughs> so
1: so you're, just, you're saying the novelty of a view wears off.
0: Yeah, it, oh, 100%. 100% wears so, off. So let's like, say I'm like, like, see- Hold on, let me, me break it down. It's not the novelty of a view that wears off, it's the novelty of a high view that wears off. Like uh, okay. the, the fifth, the fifth floor and it, the 30th floor can actually have like, like if the, if the view is not blocked, the novelty can still be there. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Whereas with the 30th floor, the way down is so much more drastic and so much more annoying. So mm-hmm. that's what I was saying. That's what I realized over, over from experiencing both, not from the like, um hypothesizing, you know, yeah. from actual experience.
1: I, I gotta I've I've never lived in a building. I mean I've been in a building. I think I, I lived in Liberty Village for a year, but mm-hmm. there was no view literally. And it was like a shoebox, you know, one bedroom plus den. It wasn't anything special, right? Mm-hmm. But um and this this one was I and I get your pain with the elevators, right? Like it's it's a mess. It's a mess. Right? So you gotta have like a great building with at least five elevators.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know? at least like five elevators. Um, and also, like, when you think of emergencies, mm-hmm. like, um, there's also going to be an emergency, like, stairs down, right? But usually yeah. that has access from the window. Um, and that lets you, that makes your condo susceptible to homeless people or these people trying to rob you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Whereas at the condo, if, if there's multiple elevators, then and stairs inside the building. You know, so mm-hmm. you kind of get susceptible to robbing, to being robbed that way. Actually, that happened to um, um, uh, podcaster uh, Francesca, um, from Hey Friend, Hey, um, on the friend zone. She literally like wo- was in her kitchen and saw somebody on her on her porch from the emergency um, the emergency stairs, like they got wow. on the porch and so she like and she was on her last pod. She was talking about how she like ran out. I was like, Yo, what the hell? And the person dead is- off and shit. And, like, <laughs> uh, i'm telling you i know i'm onto something i got uh, shit is not as 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 um great as it sounds sometimes i mean it is good it has benefits don't get me wrong you know mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of benefits you know that privacy elevator of not having to talk to nobody and just go all the way up mm-hmm. you know um I, I definitely would want that i would want that on a fifth floor sixth floor that would be perfect mm. with a good view of toronto oh beautiful but bro,
1: taking taking like the penthouse lifestyle though, right? Mm-hmm. You have like your own private balcony, like a massive one. You can entertain as many people. Mm-hmm. You have a pool, mm-hmm. right? And then you imagine you're looking at the lake, Great Lake Ontario, mm-hmm. and you're looking at the CN Tower right there on the side, bro. How how dope is that? That is that's that's living. You know, some people are surviving out here, mm-hmm. but that's living. You feel me?
0: For sure. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I feel you. I feel you. That's dope. That's dope. man. That's dope. All right. Let's get into the business tip. Let's get into it, bro. All right. This one's really quick and really simple. Um, but it's actually super overlooked. Um and we I, I actually just found out about this. Um is it called deep linking. Are you familiar with deep linking one? No, I'm not. So deep linking is essentially um a lot of times when you click from app to app, uh, it'll take you to the browser. You know, and that kind of interrupts the user experience with uh your funnel. You know, let's mm-hmm. say for instance I'm trying to go from um YouTube to Instagram. If I click that link in the description, it'll take me to the browser Instagram where I could be logged in with another page, not mm-hmm. logged in at all, and have to re-log in just to follow you on that specific account. You know, what deep linking does is it actually links to that person's profile in that app to go to that specific story or a specific, um, app. So for instance, if going back to YouTube, if I was to deep link that YouTube link to the Instagram, it would actually go to my profile to the actual profile. So I can say hit follow and keep going, you know? Mm. So, um, it's just a little quick gem of actually leveraging that deep link. So resources for this. URL Genius is a mm-hmm. great link for this. It's free. I have to make an account, which is kind of annoying, but whatever. Use a fake email, if you need, if, if need be, and um, sign up. And you can do this link anything straight to that app. It'd be great for Instagram, mm-hmm. YouTube, Snapchat, whatever, whatever. And have that seamless flow from YouTube or whatever um, content hub you're going from to the other platform. So yeah. Um, what's one thing that can easily adjust your funnel, small, but a great experience. I've tried it and tested it out. Uh, and it's working like crazy for, um, a client of mine, essentially, um, they're going from YouTube to Instagram. They're actually doing the exact example and the conversion rate is a lot higher. So mm-hmm. it's a little, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, drop off in the, in your funnel that a lot of people don't recognize. So, yeah, guys, URL Genius is great for it. There's a whole bunch of other apps as well. But um, try deep linking with your um, content to have a smooth experience through your funnel. Dope, bro. No, We, sh- we got to try that out too. 100%, 100%. I already have that <laughs> um, getting set up. So Solid, solid, bro. Yeah, man.
1: All right, guys, you know what time it is. Mr. Hustle Muscle on the mic. It's that time of the hour. the hustle nation tip so this hustle nation tip is so simple uh not to bite off what alex is saying earlier on by you know very simple but it is and that is the power of asking Uh, i cannot think about how many times i have gotten things and i have missed out on things just because i did not ask um everything comes down to the power of the ask and the reason this is something that struck out to me this week is there is right now we're developing a new product and this one requires uh, a lot of salesmanship. It requires a lot of uh, asking people for their time, asking people for their information, asking people to do certain things, Uh, just asking them to to do one thing that's going to help you and it's also going to benefit them, but they don't know it's going to benefit them. And as entrepreneurs, we get into this mode of sometimes of we think someone is going to say no, even before we ask them. And this is like sales one-on-one, you know, you do a lot of the work, but then when it comes to the ask, you never really ask for the sale. You never really ask for the opportunity for that person to buy that because you're afraid they're going to say no. So asking is always the best thing you can do. If you're raising money, Alex, I remember you had an Instagram post. With this, that said, you know, ask for more money because you don't know what could happen if you ask for more money. We had a discovery call with David Mullings, and you know, he was talking to Michael Lee Chin, the billionaire, and he kept asking him, you know, what else, what else, what else. You know, so when you actually get deeper into it, when you ask people things, you can get you you can surprise yourself, and you can get one thing that you thought you might not have gotten because you asked for it. It goes back to what Michael uh, Wayne Gretzky said, you know, you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take and it goes through everything in life. If you don't ask for the things that you want, you're never going to get them. If you don't ask for the universe to be granted the things that you want, they're not going to happen. So a lot of us have certain things that we do want, but we never truly ask for them. You know, the asking for them can come in just asking simply, Hey, Hey man, Hey woman, we're raising this much money write us this check after you've done, of course, after you've done all the work, it's perhaps in a prayer, asking God, if you're religious, Do you grant us this wish for it to come true? If it's a girl you're trying to ask out, if it's a guy you're trying to ask out and you're seeing them there, this could be the love of your life, but all you got to do is take the leap of faith and ask them to go out with you. Right? So if we get caught up. We tell ourselves these, all these stories in our head of things that could possibly go wrong. But what if they do go right, but you'll never know that until you ask. So get in the habit of asking, get in the habit of, if you want something, make the decision to do it and just reach out and let those that statement, that question come out of your mouth. Okay, can you do this for us? Can you do this? We, we are doing this. Are you in or are you out? And the thing about asking is you can go to bed that night and you can know that, you know what? I, am sleeping well tonight just because I know that I asked for this and I can sleep with a decision of whatever, whatever comes out of it. Um, so guys get in the habit of asking for your business, asking your customers to order more, asking your customers to add more items to their cart, asking your investors for more money, uh, asking out the gir- girl, a guy of your dreams and yeah, just ask because that is the key to getting from point A to point B. So that is the Hustle Nation tip of the week, guys.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Alex, are you an asker? 100%. 100%. Closed mouths don't get fed. Facts. All All right. With that being said, let's hop into our housekeeping items and jump straight into the show. Hey guys! Before we hop into the podcast, we have a few housekeeping announcements. For free to support the podcast, if you're on Apple, make sure you rate and write a review about our podcast. This makes a huge difference. On Instagram, make sure to take a screenshot and tag us in Instagram stories. It makes a huge difference. It helps us share the podcast out and expand the community. On Twitter, we're at twenty four seven hustlers, and on Facebook, we're hustle over everything. Guys, we were busting our ass, especially Owen, working on their weekly newsletter. It's called the 24-7 Hustle. It covers news in business, music, and culture, all through the lens of entrepreneurship. And for our paid options, guys, we have some great merch on the store. Check it out at hustleovereverything.co. And lastly, our Proud to Pay program is linked in the description down below. Now let's hop into the show.
1: Today, we have Julie Weiner on the show. Julie, how's it going today?
2: It's going very well, thanks. How's it going with you guys?
1: Uh, it's going amazing with me, you know, just enjoying the summer weather, finally.
0: Finally. Yeah, most, it's most so
2: hot it. here. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I have a balcony, so I'm really excited. I've never had a balcony at this level, and I have, like, a view of the and Tower from here. So I'm just, like, oh. excited to just chill on the balcony, very nice. you know, have a nice drink, kick back, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. I know, Enjoy I know. I'm trying not to go outside because it is really hot.
0: <laughs> where where are you based off of Julie?
2: Where I'm in Montreal.
1: Oh, you're in Montreal MTL. Yeah. Nice, nice, yeah. nice, nice. So for our audience, uh, Julie is the CEO and founder of Granolists, And uh we have her here today just to talk to to talk about her brand. Um she I'm just gonna even let her just explain what she does, but essentially it's a snack, it's a granola she sells granola it's the best granola to her that she's ever made and a lot of people are fans of her snacks and she found this company by accident uh, just for her passion for making granola and um, you know it took her down a career path that she'd never thought she'd have and uh, we have her here today to talk about building a brand uh, getting into retail and uh, just talking about like the foods industry and how we can uh, you know start our own brands from the passions that we have for making good food so Julie talk to us about uh uh, granolas. How did you start? How did you come across this uh, idea? I don't want to
2: disagree with anything you said, mm-hmm. Owen, but um, this did not actually come out of a passion that I had specifically for anything. The whole mm. thing started completely by accident.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: I really, I worked my whole life, my whole career in the fashion industry, mm-hmm. um, which I fell into accidentally just from a part-time job when I was at, uh, at university. I actually studied journalism and film studies which I did nothing, nothing direct
1: with, with. With a degree of it, exactly, yeah. Right,
2: so I worked in fashion and then a couple of years ago, I was just super burnt out and I was really just not feeling it and not happy and I just took a break from all of that. And um, there was, I just liked eating granola uh, my whole life. I liked eating granola. So I had found many, many years ago, I found a recipe for granola that I liked that happened to be from this detox diet plan, which was not something that I was following, but it was easy to make, which was a key Mm -hmm. because they don't actually make any food. Um, My husband is an amateur gourmet chef, so he makes all the food in our house for my daughters and I. Um, But this was something that I like to eat in the morning. So I had found it and I modified it a little bit because it it had these weird ingredients that I had never heard of and didn't know where to find, like puffed millet and uh, quinoa puffed quinoa. I didn't know what these things were. So I kind of modified it with the ingredients that I liked. I switched out some of the nuts and I put in what I liked. And there was like nine ingredients, 10 ingredients, and it was really easy to make. And mm-hmm. that was why I was able to make it. So when I was working in fashion, I had a I had a, a high level job and I was traveling a lot and I didn't always have time to make it. But sometimes yeah. you know, every couple of months I'd make enough to have around. And my friends would come over who were really fighting to get invited over to eat my husband's food. And they would see that I had made, something. And I think they were half shocked that I was making something and they were half shocked that it tasted good. So maybe once or twice over the years, they asked if they could take a small bag home for them to eat, you know, the next day Mm -hmm. with their breakfast. But it wasn't like I had this small cottage industry in the back of my house, like pumping out granola. It was just something that I liked and I, and I made. And then fast forward to, um, it's three years ago now it's three years ago now a bunch of girlfriends and I were out and one of the girls that was there there is a friend of a friend owns a very big and like a, one of the first big big juice bars in Montreal it's called Rejuice and her mm-hmm. name is Joanna and so we were in the car and she literally said out of nowhere I need a new granola supplier so my friends who had tried my granola were like oh you have to try Julie's granola and I was like are you guys Easy. like I just yeah. make it at home I just make it for me like it didn't feel like a baker a chef nothing like that and so she started mm-hmm. asking me about the different ingredients that were in the recipe and because i had been making it for so long Yay. and because there were only nine ingredients nine nine or ten ingredients I knew that I could answer them yeah and so uh she asked me what kind of oil I use and I said it was coconut oil she said oh I like that it's not uh, canola or sunflower or one of the bad ones and she said and how do you sweeten it And I said, well, I use coconut palm sugar. And she said, oh, I like that. It's not a refined sugar. Like I had no idea what a refined sugar was. I just knew that this was the recipe and I was following it and I could do it and that was fine. So Mm -hmm. she said, you know what? It sounds really interesting. She wanted to move away from the uh, suppliers that she was using because their ingredients and values weren't in line with those of her juice bar. So she said, you know what? Make me a bag. So I made a batch at home and I brought it to her in a baggie and I dropped it off and I didn't think anything of it. And two days later, she called me back and she was like, Julie, this is incredible. I love it. My staff is obsessed with it. I need you to make me 12 kilos a week. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's so nice, but I can't make 25 pounds of granola a week in my house. And she said, make as much as you can. That whole summer, I just started with my no culinary background, doubling and tripling and quadrupling the recipe. I was baking 24 hours, almost 24 hours a day in my house. And I was getting up to like five, six, seven kilos at a time. And I would just Bring it to her, and she kept saying, How much does it cost? And I was like, I don't know, I'm getting ingredients at the grocery store. And I was just having fun. Like, I was having a really good time baking. I loved that she liked it, and she was using it in bulk on the smoothies and smoothie bowls and acai bowls that she had there. Mm -hmm. So she kept saying to me, When you get your act together, make individual bags because people want to take it home. They like it on what we're serving here, but they want to be able to put it on their yogurt at home or their parfaits or whatever they want to use it on. But I was like, I didn't have a business. Name. I didn't have a brand name. I didn't have packaging. I had no ideas for any of this because it had all just come out of nowhere. And I just thought it was fun to bake and bring it to her in these big, you know, plastic, clear plastic bags. So I spent the summer doing that. And then finally, I said, "You know what? I'm gonna try." So I, I went to this um, like restaurant supply place and I bought these really cute little craft brown paper coffee bags that you yeah. twist down like that and like the see-through like ones with a little window exactly a see-through. And uh, I was printing labels at Staples, you know, and it was like a hot mess. The bag was a hot mess. There was like different fonts and different things. And I was like, oh, I have to put on ingredients. So I did a clear label with ingredients on the back in English. And then I'm like, oh, I'm in Quebec. I got to do them in French. So I made them in French. There was, like six different stickers on there. The original name of the company was Love. And it was really sweet and it was really cute and it had a a heart for the O and it was on a background of oats and it looked exactly like what you would think an organic, vegan, gluten-free granola thing would look like. Anyway, I loved it. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. So I got my act together. I made her these bags. She put it on social media, the girl from the juice bar, Joanna, and I put it on social media and the whole thing just exploded. So then the next two weeks, people are writing me, and I'm making bags, and she introduced me to another health food store up the street, and I'm I'm selling, and I'm so excited, and I'm baking, and then a friend of mine says, oh, I just bought some granola. So I said, oh, I asked her if she'd gone to one of those two stores, and she said, "Um, no, I went to this other store, and I said, well, I don't sell that other store. Could you send me a picture of what you bought? So she sends me a picture of a beige bag that wasn't nearly as cute as mine, and it said granola L-U-V. So somebody had basically walked into one of those two stores, saw what I was doing and knocked off the name.
1: What you're doing. Yeah. And
2: I was devastated. Like yeah. devastated. I thought that it was like, it'd been three weeks. like, But I, I just thought it was the best brand name ever. And the lawyers were like, we can register it if you want but if there's any hint of confusion we really recommend that you change it now so now this other girl whose name happened anyway it doesn't matter i don't want to say that but mm-hmm. she was <laughs> in two stores yeah, I and i was in two stores at this point that were all basically three of them were on one street and another one was like two streets away so obviously there was confusion so i said you know what i'm gonna change it it's only a couple of weeks old so a bunch of friends and i sat and brainstormed and one of them said what about granola and right away i just knew that it was 5,000 times better. Immediately, I knew that I could market this and I could play with it. And this whole um, contradiction of the sexiness of organic, vegan, super clean granola was really something that I could play with. So at the beginning, I kept the packaging exactly the same. I kept the logo exactly the same. Instead of it saying granola love with a heart, it said granola lust, but the heart was in the granola part, not Mm not the love part. And I kept it steady. But I have two speeds. This is why it's funny because you're not funny, but your podcast is like sort of perfect for me because I am a hustler. So my speeds are either zero or 150. And the way yeah. I was, it was, here's somebody in my backyard who's selling the same product as me, who's already in stores that are near me. Obviously I'll have to get to every store around us before. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was like a race and it lit a fire under my bum. And so two weeks later, I think I was in 15 stores and I was, I mean, I'm a natural salesperson and I and I was passionate about it. And so, I was so pleasantly surprised at how helpful and open and um, everybody just wanted to support local. Every store that I mm-hmm. went to, they they were just so happy to try it. They loved the idea of supporting somebody who was starting, you know, the fashion industry isn't notoriously so supportive like that. It was a little bit uh, more
1: <laughs> fashion, fashion people <laughs> like closed off.
2: Exactly. Like I wasn't yeah. really used to that. And I was like, wow like every so and that was really i I think that that's almost a a key takeaway for me from this whole experience has been that Mm -hmm. everybody that i've talked to and in that first few months for sure and year like i called anybody and everybody that i knew or even remotely knew to to learn from them to find out from them because i knew enough about business and about marketing a, a little bit and you know but i didn't know about the food industry at all and so i had friends and i had acquaintances and i just talked to anybody who would talk to me and then um and everybody was so forthcoming people who were not competitive with me in the sense that they weren't other granola brands but they were other brands doing similar things in this health kind of space Mm -hmm. and they were so happy to share contacts and information and help and i just remember thinking like i can't wait till i can pay this forward like i still don't know that much but like if there's ever anybody that calls me i help them however i can which is my nature anyways but it's also like this industry is so supportive. And that was a really nice thing to see. So about two weeks after three weeks after that, I was in maybe 15 stores. And I just kept going and going and going from there. And I kept saying to myself, it's going to stop. It's going to stop. People are doing this to be nice. They're doing it to support me. And that's really, really nice, but it's going to stop. But it didn't stop. And stores further away from sort of the nucleus of where I was, were ordering and then stores were reordering. And I was like, Maybe it is actually good. And the the re, the juice bar girl, after um we launched with the first flavor, she, she got rid of her supplier for that sort of commodity, and then she said to me, I, I want you to make a flavor without nuts. So I took that original recipe and I just took the nuts out, and that became our second flavor. So then she got rid of her supplier for that one. So I was supplying her in bulk, and then I was supplying, I guess, 15 or 20 stores with these individual bags. And then I started meeting with people saying I mean, I didn't really think that it was going to be anything. So I, I was literally buying ingredients, which at this point I was buying from a bulk ingredient supplier, this big company. I'll never forget. I went to pick up this first order of ingredients and everything comes in like 25 and 50 pound bags. And I pulled the car up cause I didn't, I couldn't afford the delivery charge. And I, I pulled the car up and they filled up the back of the car with all these bags. And I called my husband and I was like, I'm so sorry. We're going to be eating almonds for the rest of our life. <laughs> what was I going to do with this 25-pound bag of almonds? But we yeah. went through it very quickly, and then I, I started ordering a lot more. Um, and I started talking to people saying, okay, so if I had some small budget, like I was, I was buying ingredients, I was baking, I was shipping, I was getting paid, I was paying off the credit card for the ingredients. Like there was no plan because everything was just coming. Like I hadn't – It was
1: just happening.
2: To – start this business, and believe me, as an aside, had I thought about starting a business, it would not have been in granola, which is super competitive. I mm-hmm. learned after the fact. I learned a lot of things after the fact, but what I did learn, which by fluke, mine happened to be gluten-free, and it was at the time, this is almost three years ago, it was very hard to find gluten-free granola, specifically good-tasting gluten-free granola. So that had, that had I had that working for me. The fact that it was mostly organic ingredients, also that was a plus, and the fact that it was vegan, Um, was also good. So that's sort of what set me apart. But really, those weren't characteristics that were so different from other brands that were out there. But in Montreal, in Quebec, I was local and they liked Mm. them. Um, I wasn't trying to go after big grocery stores. I didn't feel that that was um, my path. I didn't, I mean, I had no for almost a year I was still baking in my house so I had no idea about a costing I didn't I wasn't really running it as a business it was just so exciting to me that I was on Instagram and there were influencers who wanted to who wanted the product and wanted to try it and all these stores you know wanted to have it and they were reordering so I was excited about that but anyways I started talking to all these different people saying if you had a budget what would you spend it on so the photographer said oh you should spend it on professional photos and it's a thousand dollars for 30 pictures and I was like Mm -hmm think I'm going to do that. And then someone else will build a website and someone, anyway, I took in all of everything that they said. And for me, I decided that the small budget that I had, I wanted to invest it in branding and marketing. So I worked with somebody that I had worked with quite a bit in the fashion industry. And he was the genius behind the black bags and the logo and the whole granola feel. And as soon as I did that, it's almost like that for me was when it really started, because Mm -hmm. as soon as it looked like that, I knew that I could market it in that sexy way. And so if you've looked at the Instagram, um, you'll see that my, I ended up finding, I mean, everything that happened to me has been such a weird coincidence of, you know, meeting somebody on a particular day that I wasn't supposed to be, like everything has been like a really crazy coincidence, which leads me to this, like everything happens for a reason thing. But in any case, I found this girl who was a Concordia art student and she wanted to try the products and post about it. But then she became my photographer for a bit and she was really affordable because she was a young girl, but she just got it. She got what I wanted, which was this whole dark and moody, sexy kind of thing. And I love loved it and still love playing off of that contradiction of, this is a sexy black bag. You don't know what's in there, deliberately no window like every other Mm. brand has because, and it has the word lust in it. You know, it could be anything in there, anything X rated or not, but it happens to be granola. Um, And so that really set me apart. So it looks different than everything else Mm -hmm. out there. It certainly tastes different because it's not full of sugar. Um, and that's a comment that I get all the time when people try it. They're like, oh, I really like it. It's not too sweet. People often think that when they're eating granola from the grocery store, granola is healthy. You know, they picture like Vermont and people in bourbon and those wool socks, and oh, it's healthy. It's healthy. And mm-hmm. often it's really full of sugar and mine is not full of sugar. And people, I would have thought that people like the sugar cereal version of granola, but that's not actually what mine tastes like. And plenty of people like it. So we um we started with those with those black bags and then about a year or so, year and a half after I launched the third and the fourth flavors, um, one is called Mocha Chocolate Crunch. Pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. And the last one is really um the star of our collection and uh it's a savory flavor that's meant to go on top of salads or soup or avocado toast or roasted vegetables or ground up and used as a breading on chicken or fish or tofu and it's a rosemary vegan parmesan Mm -hmm. so it has a little kick to it and it's I can just tell because I do a lot of markets and I do a lot of shows where I'm talking to customers at the end where pre-covid we were doing tastings and samples and stuff like that and as soon as I can you know sometimes their first impression or they look at the bag they're like rosemary, parmesan, I'm like that's disgusting. I don't want to put that on my yogurt in the morning, but as soon as I can explain to them, no, 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 you don't think about it like that. It's a totally different way of thinking about eating granola and you use it as a, almost like a healthy crouton, mm-hmm. their eyes light up and, and the, the ideas start flowing and it's really different and it's really special and um, that really sets us apart also. So I beat myself up a lot for not having had a plan because this fell into my lap and mm-hmm. you know I'm still struggling a lot with, scaling the business and growing it and and it's just me that does everything i mean i got out of my house for the baking but otherwise it's really it's just me
1: just a one one woman team right now
2: a one woman team yes exactly um but the truth is is that had i had a plan i think the plan would have been get into every mass market grocery store Mm -hmm. that's not the right plan for my brand because it is more expensive because it does have finer quality ingredients and it doesn't have additives and it has all these good things in it so for example You know, maybe six or eight months after I started this French Canadian girl who's a dietitian or nutritionist by profession reached out to me. She has a company that does monthly subscription boxes where every month she puts in four or six different ingredients and a recipe using her, you know, dietitian background and workout thing and whatever. And she ordered 900 of my small uh, maple quinoa bags. Jeez. I mean, you had to see my entire family, like one of those stories that so my entire family was in the kitchen, like packing the bags and like doing everything I was baking at that point. Nine, I baking 900. I'm baking all the time and I'm trying to get these 900 bags like filled and sealed and whatever. But point is, it, that was not something that had ever occurred to me, this monthly subscription box as a business. So then mm-hmm. I saw that it worked and I was like, oh, now I have to find every other monthly subscription box business that's like that. So I followed that path. And found others like that. Then one gift basket company reaches out to me. Oh, gift basket companies. Like the, the, me not knowing anything about the industry would have been get to every grocery store, but Mm -hmm. it's not like, so I've been able and fortunate in that way. Now I'm starting to see that not having a plan is actually a good thing sometimes because I was able to see where that interest was coming from and then exploit Mm -hmm. that a little bit. Um, so we're really, we're now we're in 150, 175, maybe, um, fine food stores, natural food stores, health food stores, um, gyms, juice bars, uh, restaurants, hotels. I do a lot. I still do a lot of bulk food service type business. Uh, Airports um, that I still sell a lot in bulk uh, by kilo, in addition to the two sizes of branded bags, the black bags. Um, And I do a lot at Well, I was doing a lot before the world ended, but, um, (laughs) uh, in office, big office buildings, like I have these custom dispensers that offices can use if they're providing food, you know, big law offices, let's say they're providing food to their employees. So it sits there and they can just, um, dispense it themselves
1: for the- or a lot of-
2: buying, you know bags to give to their employees so there's a lot of you know head offices like of Aldo Shoes like 900 mm-hmm. employees like they have a crazy cafeteria so I'm selling them in bulk they prepare pre-prepare their own yogurt parfaits and things like that but also they were selling the bags so it's kind of a three-pronged thing like i do a lot of these markets these end-user markets like there's this show big show in quebec called uh, expo manger santé i do farmer's markets every summer um in the laurentians which is about an hour away from montreal mm-hmm. i do the retail stores um and then the hotels and restaurants and gyms and juice bars that are buying in bulk
1: so That's, you know, first and foremost, Julie, that's like one hell of a story. I know, like when you told me the story um, in the beginning, I was just like, I have to send, I have to save all the juice for the podcast and um, congrats first and foremost, like congrats on everything you've achieved. Um, Let's get into like the technical sides of things of like, you know, actually getting into retail. I know uh, Alex as well has some questions. I have some questions. Uh, Talking about like the retail process, right? What are some things that you learned that are required? If you have like, let's say if someone were to start like a granola like you, they they come up with a granola bar, let's say, and they package it, they want to come into a store. What are some things that retailers look for? um when you actually want to come into a store what are some like the solid fundamentals that you can share with someone who wants to get into a retail store that they can implement or can uh take notes right now and go to a retailer and say hey i have this brand i have these many people who are interested in um how do i come in how do i become a product on your shelf
2: i mean there are lots of rules and regulations. There's in Quebec, there's a thing called the map pack. Like you have to have this uh, food safety license almost um, based on where you're preparing it. But I have to be honest with you. There was one store in all of the stores that I approached that said they didn't want to carry it because I didn't have some stamp or some something. So I would almost say it. I mean, I think it also depends on the province. For me, it was, I just cold called, I just cold called people and they, they were taken with the story. They were taken with the product. Like I said, at the beginning, like they were just so happy to support local. Now this is, these are one-off stores, you know, they're independent stores. If you're looking at a chain, any kind of chain, their, um, rules and the obstacles are much greater. So it sounds like everything is great to be honest with you. If I want it, like, I'm not with a distributor. So there are a lot of chains, like there's a chain in Quebec that's called Macheteau or Rochelle Berry, which is actually owned by Sobeys that owns uh, Loblaws or whatever. Mm -hmm. Anything that's like that, they don't want to know from you unless you are with a distributor. Mm -hmm. Because a distributor, from what I've learned, um, you know, they don't want to deal with a thousand Julie's and a thousand granolas. They want to deal with one company that is going to represent all thousands. So if they're getting an order, of you know 50 products from one place they prefer to do that than 50 orders from 50 different stores the distributors do the inventory management they the distributors from what i understand really do all the work so they're they're on top of what's selling and what's not selling and they're the ones doing the reorders and they provide a lot of services to the stores a lot of these big chains and stuff too like the loblaws and that of the world they have astronomical listing fees just to list your product i mean that could put a, a small company out of business so for me because i was either making it myself or now i have um a caterer actually a local caterer in montreal who is producing it for me i didn't have the room in my margin to work with the distributor so i was limited right from the beginning which i i didn't even know that i was but i ended up figuring out like i got to the bottom of the ninth with these small chains i never tried for loblaws or Provigo or anything like that because I knew that I couldn't produce enough for them, but they basically said, if you're not with a distributor and at the beginning, it was like, Oh, you don't have enough skews. Cause at the beginning I only had two st- uh, two um, flavors and two size of bag. So one of them said, okay, come back when you have more skews. So then I added two more flavors, but basically like it really wasn't easy. It hasn't been easy. And every time I go to a show, people ask me, are you in these three chains in Quebec? And I'm not, and I have to say I'm not. So it's not so easy to get into those specifically if you're not with a distributor. And then from what I've learned, you know, working with distributors has its own challenges too. Namely, they tend to, they don't really sell for you. They push what's selling. So in the granola world, for example, you go into any grocery store, you'll see the same eight or 10 brands in every single store. So it's a, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. So those are the brands that are there. So those are the brands that people buy. So those are the brands that sell. So those are the brands that the distributors push as opposed to wanting to push something new because there's nothing in it. Like, it's almost like I have to get to 500 stores by myself before a distributor will want to work with me. And then it's like, I'm handing them what I just work for so hard. So I have mixed feelings about it. But to answer your question, when it's an independent store, I really just cold called for sure. You have to meet basic hygiene and um, food preparation standards Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But having said that nobody really asked. Um, I'm not suggesting that anybody not take the food safety and hygiene course or do anything, but there's weird rules. Like you can make a product at home and sell it at a farmer's market, but you can't make a product at home and sell it to a store. Who's going to resell it without Mm -hmm. this license. Because ultimately, it's the person who sells it that is responsible. So the stores don't want to be responsible. If you, if a, a screw or a nail or a hair gets into something that I produce and I sell it to a store that sells it to a person, the person is going to go back to the store and they don't want that responsibility unless you have, you can back it up. So um, I'm not sure if I really answered your question. Like. If you're starting something from scratch, like for sure what I would say, and I didn't do this because, again, it started all by accident, but um, you got to find a niche. you got to find something that differentiates you from everybody else. If it's a product that there's 50 of and if there's a product that there, you're the only one, you have to figure out a way to make yourself stand out. Um, for us, it's been us, I say us, it's me, but for me, it's been, you know, the black bags. Um, it's been that it's high end after the fact we did a whole market study and it turns out that there's a ton of opening price point granola brands, the Kellogg's Mm -hmm. of the world and all of that, that's super cheap. And there's a big chunk of medium and medium level brands. Like, I don't know what love crunch and, uh, I can't even name all of them good brands, whatever, there are no premium brands. And just by fluke, that's where I was in the market. I was a premium brand. Because my ingredients are, are more expensive and they're, you know, it, gluten-free oats are more expensive than non-gluten-free oats. So is my product too expensive? Um, it might be, it might be a dollar. It's okay to be more expensive because I can mm-hmm. back it up, but it might be too expensive I'm not having any price resistance having said that, but I am trying to bring my cost down so that I can contemplate working with a distributor as it goes on. And now I'm actually in the final stages of negotiating with a co-packer who is going to produce for me in greater volume. The price comes way down. They're going to package it for me. Like now I get it from the caterer in bulk in these big giant garbage pail bins. And I almost pack every order that as it comes in. So it's super fresh. Again, I think my business is ending every week, so I don't want to order hundreds of kilos. So I'm only ordering like a hundred kilos and then I'm like, I'm out of of stock. I have to keep reordering. But the good thing about that is it's always fresh. Um, but, um, you know, certainly working with a co-packer is going to allow me the opportunity to have tons of bags ready to go. I can start working with Amazon. Like this co-packer has all these certifications that, I didn't have with a with a caterer who doesn't care if they're certified organic or certified gluten free. So, you know, I. It's definitely a plus that it's gluten free. But if anyone's asking me about celiac disease, for example, I'm very quick to tell them this is not certified gluten free. It is made in a facility that could contain gluten. They don't make other products when they're making mine, but it could. I'm very nervous, obviously, about allergies and things like that. But we state it clearly. But now it's going to be amazing to be able to state it is certified gluten free. There's nothing to worry about. It's certified kosher and halal. It's going to be, you know, certified organic. Those are all important claims that will justify the
0: price. The price.
2: Um, again. To answer your question, you gotta you gotta have passion and 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 hustle for what you want you have to be aggressive and you have to not take no for an answer like I'm sensitive I'm a sensitive person so luckily I didn't get that many no's um I got a lot I got all yeses to be honest um not all because I I I definitely you know as the months and years went on like I just keep reaching out keep reaching out I'm on Instagram and like I make I make things happen I make things happen you see a brand that is similar to yours or could is in the same space i go and i look and i see the stores that they're selling and then i go and i reach out to those stores, saying okay you have something that's like a friend could be next to mine not competitive with mine but next to mine you know and that's how i get a lot of a lot of storage you can't wait for them to come to you that's for sure not but Mm -hmm. um depends on your personality like depends on your personality i don't know Uh,
0: As, as, as you've answered a lot of our questions, actually, Perfect.
1: Yeah. Um, talk a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we gotta, we gotta find a way
1: just to politely interrupt. So we can, cause we have, we might have questions and, uh, it was like, ah, oh, damn. Like I can't go back and ask that. So, yes,
2: you can. Gotta, I to ask anything.
1: <laughs> okay. Sounds good. I'll go ahead.
0: Um, so one thing I've seen is that you were like in well.ca and then some big um, um, distributors, not distributors, but some big retailers as well, online retailers. Um, is this, you said the process is a lot harder getting those and you have to sell and kind of make over the distributor hump, you know, the gatekeeper. Um, so have you crossed that barrier? And what was the challenge that you um, made over to get past that? Was it getting to a specific person that kind of got over that? Or are you still trying to figure a way around it?
2: So well.ca is a good example because they are, they, they fit in that category of places that I sort of shouldn't got, shouldn't have gotten into. Mm-hmm. I had reached out to and befriended a girl who has this great company called um, Nat Nagy, eat Nagy. I don't know if you know it. N-A-G-I there were like energy balls or something like that. And mm-hmm. we sort of connected and we shared resources for a bit. And I think she email introduced me to her buyer at well.ca. And for whatever reason, they took it on um it turns out that i'm not on there anymore to be very frank with you because they're such a well-oiled machine kind of that um it's not like going to a store or having the store check and see what's on the shelf like they have a system that automatically replenishes orders based on the inventory declining and we didn't sell fast enough for them to like they reordered a bunch of times but i'm not on there now so that's something that a distributor would probably have avoided somehow. But if I have 175 stores, like I can't physically follow up with all of them in addition to everything else that I'm doing. There's probably promotions that I could have done that distributors might um, spearhead that I don't even know uh, how to do kind of thing. So in some cases, you know, and, and I have also heard that a lot of these stores do have, you could get in from the back door, you don't always have to go from the head office and, you know, certain, I think with Whole Foods, I heard, not that I've tried, but each Whole Foods has a certain, or a lot of these grocery stores have a certain percentage that they're allowed to buy on their own. That is a lot that are local brands. So you could go direct to a store, ask the speech to a manager and see what happens that way. I haven't done that. I haven't done that yet. Just not for any particular reason, just I'm focusing more on these gourmet and health food stores where it seems to make sense for me yep. where they have specialty mustards and vinegars and you know olive oils and things like that as opposed to a grocery store i don't mm-hmm. think i'm a big enough name yet if it's put on a bottom shelf and a black bag and the light's not reflecting off it of properly like it's going to get it's going to get lost i don't lost have, have sauce, yeah. manpower to go in and certainly now the demos are canceled anyways but to do all mm-hmm. the these demos like they need to be supported so there are ways to to get around the distributor thing But, um, and I was just talking to a friend of mine who's in a chocolate, um, I don't even know what it is, but a chocolate business. And he basically said like, in this country, it's a necessary evil. If you want to grow, you have to, you have to be with a distributor because I'm not going to be able to do it on my own. So,
1: so are you in the process of getting a distributor right now? Or like, are you plant like, um,
2: I'm going to try, I'm (laughs) in the process now of finalizing everything with the co-packer. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to have to buy up front almost probably as much as I sell in a year. And if all that pressure is just on me to sell it, or maybe even more, like I'm going to need, I'm going to need help doing that. Like I need, Mm -hmm. I've been meeting with these like potential partners slash investors for a long time. And every time I meet them, they just say, we need to clone you like we need 20 Julie's (laughs) around the country, but I don't know how to like, that would be my first choice is instead of going with a big distributor where a small brand like me might get lost. Like I'd like to find smaller ones that sell more gourmet products to smaller stores, you know, but I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it yet. So yes, I mean, the plan is to to definitely, um, branch out in terms of sales. It can't just be me. Um, Mm. But I, my mentality a little bit now is to cast as wide a net as possible because it's just me. So instead of going one at a time, which I still do because if I'm in bed and I'm scrolling on Instagram and I see a store that seems good, I'll send them a direct message. I'll send them samples and I'll follow up. But like, you know, these gift basket companies or in the last three months, I mean, quite honestly, my business has been fantastic. It feels terrible to say that, but it, it, it's it's been fantastic because so many stores that were brick and mortar have have shifted to being online. And even online stores are now doing these boxes, you know, these curated boxes of things and they're putting us in there. So there were before they would order, you know, a couple of cases. Now it's like 60, 80, a hundred bags at a time that they're putting in their things that they're selling out. The whole landscape is changing. So I don't really know what's going to happen. Like the delivery, just delivery in general of groceries, of food. Um, it's much more significant than it, than it ever was. So you know, I think that, that um, I haven't spent any money or time and not mine because I don't know what I'm doing, but to optimize my website properly, to do the SEO properly, to really drive traffic to it. But um, selling online is a no brainer. I mean, it's retail dollars. selling in the States is a no brainer because our dollar is 30%, you know, worse than theirs. Like but I, I don't know how, like I, I'm, i there's a lot of competing priorities kind of. My first thing is I got to get to the co-packer to finalize that. So my costs come down because otherwise well, I'm not going to exist next year. I can't keep doing it, you know, um, and not, not being as profitable as I need to be. So,
0: so I have a good question because you said you were in about 170 stores, right? How do you manage your time?
2: <laughs> not well,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, it's, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. I, I'm i a really good multitasker. I'm really good at juggling a million balls and doing a lot of things all at the same time. Often it's um, what's in front of me that I'll do first. So I know if there are stores that are, let's say, around where I live or where I'm going, like I'll check in with those. Or the ones that um, sell and reorder the most, those are the ones that are top of mind that I will follow up with. But now I definitely see a shift in that more stores are reordering, many more are reordering without me having to remind them. So it's a mix of um, whatever is the priority. Like now my priority is finalizing things with the co-packer and that means that I have to order new bags because I had printed two two flavors of bags. The others I do locally, but there were mistakes on the bags and now I have certifications that I can put on there, but I have to wait for the other flavors like, it's all this big, everything is connected. So those are my priorities. That's what I'm trying to work on. Um, my, my very small minimal workforce has dwindled because of COVID. So I'm definitely, oh, it says my internet connection is unstable. Um, I've definitely been doing a lot more manual labor than normal and packing bags myself and delivering bags. Um, I don't, I don't manage my time. Well, that's the, that's the honest truth. A lot of the more, um, things that aren't my strength, the more business side of things like all, you know, if it, if it's, if it's a question of going to check a store and see if they want to reorder or contact a new store versus like do something on an Excel spreadsheet and do costing. Like I'd rather talk to people and sell stuff and Mm. reorder and, and do that. So, um, I I definitely need some support on on that side because I just sort of let that that stuff go a little bit more than I should. But um, the higher level things are the co-packer and working on the bags and developing new flavors, which we're doing quite aggressively. Um, But I'm still learning, like I'm learning every day, every week, every month. And now it's almost like everything is upside down because it's not, you know, all of the corporate business that I had it has stopped. Like I haven't done anything obviously in any of these offices in like three months. The the restaurants and the hotels and the airport, like the airport that I was selling 20 or 40 kilos, you know, every two weeks to like, who's traveling? Like who's yeah. going anywhere? I sold the, the, the alt hotel in the Toronto at Pearson airport. Like he was ordering, I don't know, 20 cases every month. Like he's not ordering anymore, but I'm supplementing it in other ways. So it's just a little bit about, um, not reinventing myself, but just—and I hate to use all these buzzwords with with COVID—but pivoting and pivoting, you know laughing, yeah. and all that. Like I'm not <laughs> pivoting, but I'm definitely—and that I think that that's actually one of the things that I do well is just to follow where that interest is coming from. I'm not hard-headed and sticking to. Okay, I have to. I'm still this, yeah. These you know chain stores with a distributor. Like if I see opportunity somewhere else, I'm gonna follow that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna exploit that till the end to make sure that 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 I'm, you know, getting the most out of this new, whatever the opportunity is that I can. So
1: so you said that um, one of the things you said about being in this business, it's very, very competitive, right? Uh, Moving forward, like, you know, how do you plan on staying, uh, how do you plan on innovating like your product and staying ahead of like the curve with your competitors?
2: So (laughs) I hope my competitors aren't listening to this, but for me, um you know i talked before about about having a niche and and setting yourself apart um for me and us i think that the savory flavors that Mm -hmm. is that is our ace in the hole if you want that is really what separates us Mm -hmm. so now i have three fairly traditional morning granola flavors that you put on top of yogurt or you know uh, make a parfait or smoothies or smoothie bowls or whatever and then i have this savory. Mm Do we talk about this This Rosemary vegan Parmesan that mm. goes salad and soup and avocado toast and a million things. Um, that's the side that I want to expand. So I have a friend, one friend already for the Rosemary Parm that we're like in the bottom of the ninth. I'm just waiting for the co-packer to, to make me a sample of that, that yeah. I have a local chef kind of work with me on that. I want to, but I, uh, to me, I think that that's the side that we need to expand on. Um, Nothing's going to happen to the traditional flavors, um, but I really believe that we have to make ourselves stand out. And there's Mm -hmm. no other brand that's doing savory flavors at retail. There are some that do salad toppers that are mostly, you know, crispy Chinese noodles and seeds and things like that. They're great. They're not Mm -hmm. granola. So right now my short term medium term plan is to get more flavors on that side so that it's almost evenly balanced so you have your your, um traditional ones that would go in the cereal or the granola aisle but then these three kind of savory ones i'm not sure where they would go but they could go somewhere else they could go with salad toppers they could go with you know even chips and and savory kind of snacks so Mm. that's what i'm looking to to expand
0: yeah you really got to be um like targeted with the placement of that because putting it in the right place in their grocery store can make all the difference of having it next to the salad or next to the, what was it you just said? The the yogurt. I mean, no. right.
2: Like the traditional, well, there's a cereal, you know, granola aisle, but when they yeah. look at right now, I can see they're looking at rosemary parm next to mocha chocolate. And they're like, this yeah. is most. I don't yeah. want to this put is, this on
0: this my yogurt. Make sense. Exactly. I
2: put a small sticker on the back now that says, you know, great on salads that at least will clue them uh. that, that it's a little bit different, but it needs to be, they need to be educated about that. But if there's three or four of them and they're next to, you know, the chickpea snacks and, you know, those kinds of things, they'll understand it in that way a little bit more. But just one flavor, it's going to get lost like that. So I'm sort of waiting to be able to almost divide it into into two. Now the four are together, wherever they are, they're together. Um,
0: Right now, retail is booming for you, essentially. But with COVID coming, uh, would you be be looking to go more the DPC route? Or staying in retail as the main bread and butter,
2: the what route? What was the first question?
0: DTC, DTC oh, direct right, to consumer. consumer. Yeah, sorry, I use a buzzword. You know, no, it's okay. i, don't I my marketing. Route. Out a
2: bit. Um, yeah. I I would like to see it be a mix of both. I think that um, it's actually not retail that I find that's that's sort of booming for me as much as these new fangled. Boxes and things like that, which I find really feed the direct-to-consumer thing, Mm -hmm. right? Because so much of it is online. So you're ordering online. Like there's this company, great company, great people. It's called Smoothies Go. Up until COVID, they made frozen packages of smoothies. You just add your liquid and you blend it, and there you go. All your fruit and vegetables, everything's in there. But Mm -hmm. now they started doing a marché, which is like a market. So now every week they're delivering fresh fruit and vegetables, and then they have like a pantry section. So they have, you know, fancy mustard and they're including my granola and they have, um, I can't even think of other things, like like those uh, lentil chips or things like that. Those kinds of businesses have started including my stuff in their offering. And that in turn, I think will feed my direct to consumer. There are a lot of these markets, like I do these, um, you know, Etsy, like. Of course, Etsy, of course yep. So in Montreal there's quite a few of these Etsy markets um affiliated with the real Etsy but they're their businesses here so I got into one maybe a year and a half ago the reaction was it's all it's the same concept as what's on Etsy jewelry makers and you know crafts and soaps and I don't even know what whatever and my granola did incredible there. So every time they have a show in real life, I go and I do it. I saw hundreds of bags. It's great. They know me there. People order online. This year, there was supposed to be one in June. There's supposed to be one in July, one in April. They all got canceled, but they all started doing these virtual markets. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm on those pla- Everything is just reinforcing. It's almost like free advertising in a sense, because even if they're not, like, and I gave promo codes on those sites, that's going to funnel to direct to consumer eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that that is a bit of, the future you know for a lot of places um there's still places here and i know you guys are just entering your second wave or not second wave but second phase of reopening like i think we're in like the fourth now so start stores many stores are are reopening but there's still some where you can't go in and they're just taking orders on the phone and and preparing them and delivering them where you can pick up and when those stores reorder i'm really invigorated because when you're, you know, when you're walking up and down the aisles and you see what you want and you put it in your cart, that's one thing. But when you have to think to call, and these these stores that I'm talking about, they don't have an online list of everything that they have. When that store is selling out of my granola, that means someone's calling saying, I need six apples, I need, you know, a pound of cherries, and I need three bags of granola. It's all working together um, to feed feed it, like the business. So I do want to focus on the direct consumer. I think that there's a big opportunity there. And again, like I said, with the co-packer and the certifications, I'm going to be able to sell Amazon in the States, Amazon in Canada. And I think I predict that that's going to be huge. Like, I think it's going to be huge. So.
0: Most definitely. definitely yeah, Most definitely. Absolutely.
2: The uh, amount of business that my family has given Amazon in the last three months is like not to be believed. We've done <laughs> a lot of tie dyeing and a lot of crazy things being ordered here. But like, you know, you can't beat that i have a real support local hat that i wear all the time as much as possible but when you need something right away or Mm -hmm. that fast and and you can get it like that you know convenience sometimes wins out so
1: that's how bezos keeps getting richer and richer every day um so you said one of the things that uh, made you stand out is brand like your brand like your bag and everything um and typically in the market like a lot of these food brands look alike and terms of like, you know, promoting a lot of green, if, especially if it's a healthy product, you see a lot of green, but you went the opposite and you opted for a black bag, which is so uh, unconventional for your space. If you can give some three tips to making a great brand in the food space, uh, what would you say from what you've learned?
2: Um, again, to me, my aesthetic, my whole view is simple rather than too busy i see a lot of brands out there not well in food let's talk in food that just have so much information on them i'm always drawn to something that is either intriguing or you know makes you want to look and see like oh well what is this like i have an eye now for whatever's new out there because a lot of them like you're saying they all do look the same like do you guys know this brand midday squares have you heard of midday squares
1: never heard of it
2: So you should check them out. They're a Canadian company. They Montreal company. It's um, a brother, a sister, and the sister's husband. And what they have done is just phenomenal. So basically it's a protein bar that is marketed as what you need in the afternoon, in the middle of the day is you need, you need this functional chocolate. So they basically um, created a need for something that we didn't know that we needed before. It happens to be delicious. Their marketing is incredible. They're, Anyway, it's a great study for you to to look into them. But something different, I think, is always going to catch people's attention. And for me, less is more. So... You know you have to flip my bag over to see like my the front of my bag is really clean it has the the colors that indicate what the flavors are and the names are on there obviously but i always laugh when stores are reader reordering like i'll have two cases of the pink and two cases of the green like they don't even remember what the names of the flavors are but they know it by color and that was intentional obviously but it just has our tagline on the front and the the little stripe of the color and the, and the name and then in the back has the ingredients and like a little spiel like a little thing for me that's important. Um, So I would recommend, and again, I have to tell you, like, I can't take that much credit for it. This guy, Andrew, who I work with, who's who's a genius at branding, he gave me a whole board of all these things to choose from. And I gravitated towards that, but really it was him who came up with this idea. I just knew that I liked it. I loved it. And it fit with this whole sexiness thing that I wanted to go for. I hadn't done a market study of granola at that point. I didn't know that no other granolas were in black bags. I didn't really realize that most other granolas have the window. So when I went and I remember I met with a friend who's in the gluten-free business and I showed him what I was doing. He said, oh, so there's no window on there. And I said, nope. And he said, well, are you sure that you don't want to put a window on there? Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to put a window on there. And he was like, oh, so you want to disrupt the granola industry. And I went, mm-hmm. okay, I want to disrupt the granola industry. Like, I, again, I never thought about it like that. So many of the things that I instinctively chose turned out to be good. Mm-hmm. At the same token, there were a lot of things that didn't work. You know, this, the, the branding just happened to be, like at the beginning, I think that when it was in that very cute DIY bag, like
1: mm-hmm. it was the
2: taste of it that got people at first because they were trying it and it was delicious. And then as I got further uh, away from my core, um, it was branding first and then the taste was obviously good enough that people, that people really loved it. So it's an interesting thing, but now it's definitely, I mean, you know it's just it's a pretty looking bag Attage, it's like a, yeah. it um it does stand out and it really lends itself to a gift a gifting kind of thing as opposed to just what you're getting at the grocery store, so that worked and, for me
1: and I think as well that you also did not come from the industry. Like you're not like your typical, you've been in the food and beverage industry for like your whole career. And you just kind of came in as like this disruptor. Like you're like, you know what, this is what I want to see. This is what I like. I want to be different. And I don't care because this is my product. And I think a lot of people gravitated towards that because in certain industries, things stay the same forever. And people think that's the pattern of success, but uh, being unique and different definitely works. So talking about like the next steps for your company, like talking about your vision now and you as an entrepreneur, um, what is the vision for granola's moving forward? Like if you're to like predict five years from now, oh. where do you see it ending?
2: Um, I don't know. People have been asking me that since day one because that, and I should have a better answer because that really would will dictate how i want to do it you know people Mm -hmm. say like you know i had retired i had resigned basically i had resigned from my job in fashion and i had retired i was like 45 years old and i i i didn't think i was done i i'm too um i like to be challenged i like to 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 do things like after i stopped working i start i went back to school at night and i took you know journalism classes because i had studied that and i thought maybe mm-hmm. that's what i want to do and i can de- i i'm not an idle person so i always knew mm-hmm. i was going to do something whether it was charity work or whatever um but you know the question certainly became did i want the business to revolve around my life or did i want my life to revolve around the business mm-hmm. and right now i think it's a good mix i certainly spend most of my hours every day doing it um, but I also know that if I need to do something with my kids or I need to do something for take my dog to the vet or, you know, there's nobody that I'm answering to. And so to me, it's a good balance right now. Uh, Five years. I can't tell you next year. I'd like to be firmly entrenched with the co-packer. I'd like to have three or four more flavors and I would like to be some way, whether it's with a distributor or not, I would like to be in those medium chain stores like the, so, and you guys have your versions of them in Ontario. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of them now, but, um, and I need help to, to get there for sure. I'd like to have more people selling for me or with me. Um, I'd like to replicate what I did in Quebec and I haven't even scratched the surface, but I'd like to replicate what I did in Quebec and in Ontario and in BC and, you know, out East. Like I do have pockets of, of other um, provinces that are selling it, but without people on the ground, it's never gonna grow like that. So. Mm-hmm. I definitely like to be bigger and I know that if I keep doing things the way I'm doing them and keep talking about it, I'm having trouble scaling, I'm going to be in the same position as I am now. So I'm trying to push past that. I don't know five years, five years, you know, in a fantasy, I'd like some big company to love what I'm doing and buy the brand. Like I don't need to run this for the rest of my life. It's not like I need it for, you know, um, but I'm definitely passionate about it. I feel like it's my baby. I feel like I, accidentally created it and and I'm excited to see where it could go but i don't i don't know like i don't know
1: <laughs> so so to ask you something like you know they always say things never happen by accident right, and they always say like whatever like you always become like what you always think about like all the time, and you were in fashion, you were like an executive position. Did you ever see yourself becoming an entrepreneur, even have the thought of becoming an entrepreneur? Or was it something like, how was that? Never, never.
2: never. never. So many times over the years, I would say, I am a great soldier. I am not a great general. I didn't think that I had that in me. But what I learned was that, you know, and I guess until you do it, you don't know. Because if someone would have said it to me, I would have said, no. Like, uh, whatever, books or reading, like, let me think of a business I could do. Nothing would have happened from that Mm -hmm. either. Um, The passion that I ended up feeling for this thing that I created that was an accident, but does resonate with people, like, there's nothing like that high of... Getting that reorder or getting into that store that you want to get into or hearing somebody stop you on the street, which actually does happen to me and people saying, Oh my God, your granola is the best thing that I ever had or somebody, you know, like, and that fuels me. So it's addictive to, to know and to feel that you created something that people like and know, um, and that passion is exciting, and I had lost it, to be quite honest, like, I had lost it in fashion, I didn't care anymore, and I knew at a certain point, it wasn't fair to my boss, for sure, and it wasn't fair to me, I just felt like I was, my whole life was passing me by, I'd already missed, like, my kids growing up, like, Uh, I didn't want to do that anymore, I wanted to, to live my life, like, I'd always, like, had to say no to everything, because I was feeling so guilty, because I was, you know working or traveling and when i was when i was being a good mother i was being a bad employee and when i was being a good employee i was being a bad mother like that, it was really difficult um mm. balance that now my kids are 18 and 20 so they need me but in a different way um and um for what <laughs> pardon
0: as, in, as wallets
2: yeah, well, that also, they, work, they, work. <laughs> they, work. they don't want to do anything with my business they don't want to help me at all but they do okay. have it off so i'm proud yeah. of that but yes a little bit like that but um no that it's that passion that that to me is the key ingredient that that will make an entrepreneur and um you know i don't i don't know everything i'm still learning all the time and i think that i'm smart enough to know what i don't know and to try and seek help for it and to try and focus on what I'm good at. But that is a bit of a cop-out too, because I could be forcing myself to learn what I, what I don't know, but I would sooner, you know, speak to my husband, who's also an entrepreneur who does have that business sense and that business head and say like, okay, you just tell me how much I should charge for this because I don't want to worry about it, but I'm excited that this person wants to do business with me. So just tell me what, what's the number, what's the number instead of mm-hmm. like learning that, you know, I was never great at math. So I still tend not to push myself like that but um it's really the passion like that to me is what would differentiate it and um and i never no, i never 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 would have imagined that i would do something like this like i was i'm just i'm like a rule follower like i'm a i'm i i love to learn and i love to to i have a lot of ideas and thoughts and stuff but like to think that i ever could have like started a business never never would have thought that so
0: one thing that you said that really stood out to me is how you balance your personal time and your business time. Is there any specifics that you've taken to make sure you differentiate the two? Like, do you use a specific tactic or strategy to go, all right, every day at six, I just cut off. Like, how do you make sure you balance that and not get too wrapped up in the business?
2: Um, You know, something that like the last 10 years when I worked in the clothing business, I worked for um, a company that's based in Montreal, but we, distributed a line of uh, high-end cashmere and stuff that was based in Paris. Um, so are six hours ahead of us. And I had a lot of responsibility. Like I said, I had a lot of freedom. I kind of ran the show. Um, I used to say my boss liked to give us enough rope to hang ourselves with. So he wasn't a micromanager. He wasn't going to be on top of me, but I knew what I needed to do. And so if I wanted, let's say, to take a day off or take a vacation for me, the way that I, for me, not because he said it, I was always on. I was answering every email. I was like that's to, to me when I was working, that's how I was balancing it. Like yes, I wasn't in the office, but I wasn't gonna come back to a thousand emails. I was taking care of what I could take care of when I was away, and that was the trade-off in a sense. So when I was home, you know, with Paris being six hours ahead, so that means that I was getting emails until late at night, and first thing in the morning when I would wake up, they were already six hours ahead, so it wasn't like I was getting to the office and only answering my emails from nine to five. Like, I just never had that mentality. I still have that mentality. So the work, like there's no hours when it's your own thing. So I could, we could have dinner, my family, and then I could get into bed and I could be, you know, watching a show, but on Instagram, finding accounts, writing back to people like, I don't shut off. I'm never off. So I'm not really sure that I'm achieving that balance well, but for me, the balance is doing everything all the time so that I'm not missing anything, if that makes any sense. Um, For sure, my family will be the priority if there's something that they need. You know, my daughter was just in the hospital the other day because she couldn't stop throwing up. Like, I'm not thinking about the business then. And sometimes I have to say to myself, like, it's also not life or death not the kid in the hospital, but you know, it's granola. Like mm-hmm. it's not, if they get their order later, I don't answer right away. Like, and I, and I, I have to train myself to do that. And we had to do that a little bit with clothing too, because mm-hmm. people were freaking out. And finally I would say like, gosh, it's t-shirts, <laughs> you know, like it's not, we're not saving lives here. Like it's not so crucial. People are like, you know, your orders late by a day. Like who cares? It's got to keep it in perspective a little bit. So I'm not sure I'm a good example of balance. I don't shut off ever. I'm never off. It's, you know, I'm not, I don't sleep a lot. So at six in the morning, I could be on Instagram looking for things or answering emails or sending out emails or, you know, most of the time it's like, I'm waiting. Like what time is okay? Is, is like late enough or early enough for me to call somebody? Is it, are they going to, you know, eight in the morning? Is that like, so I don't, I don't really balance. I don't think that well, because I kind of just like to do everything all the time. Mm. Um, But sorry. There's one thing that I wanted to say that I I don't think that I'm not sure if you were getting at, but you know, um, I really learned that no experience that I have had has been a waste. So I could look back and say, wow, I should have, you know, I wish I would have started this granola thing earlier or look at all these years that I wasted in the clothing business or I have a degree in journalism and I never used it at all. Like for example, when I worked in the clothing business, I coordinated these trade shows that we did. Trade shows were a huge part of how we sold twice a year, four times a year in New York, four times a year in LA. I, you know, from everything from registering for the trade show to ordering the furniture, to setting it up, to being there, to selling, to collecting the orders, all that stuff. So you know what, sure enough, I have trade shows now for granola, like this big, you know, at uh, Complex Desjardins in Montreal, which is like the equivalent of your uh, convention center you know these big 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 trade shows and had i not had any experience doing what i did for clothing like it's transferable everything is transferable nothing is wasted like so yeah the journalism degree did i go and chase fire trucks and cover municipal politics nope i didn't want to do that but you don't think that comes in handy when i'm writing emails or when i'm doing my marketing of my like everything can feed into everything else and Although I think that, you know, I think there's some statistic, I don't know what it is exactly, but how many jobs people these days will have in their lifetime where, you know, 50 years ago, somebody was an accountant, they were an accountant their whole, their whole life. There's no shifting like that. And maybe there's still a bad perception of the changing, but I don't look at it like that. I really look at it like everything is stepping stones. So all of the experiences that I had, not all of them, but like so many of them are transferable. It doesn't matter that it's, fashion versus food or whatever it may be like you learn how to talk to people you learn mm-hmm. how to deal with customers you learn how to cold call if you're in sales whatever you're selling it doesn't matter like so I'm always happy you know if there are interns that want to work with me or, or younger people and they they're interested like they could be interested in business they could not be interested in food but there's something to learn from everything that you're doing whether it's just about being polished or how to present yourself, and it doesn't—it doesn't matter. So I, I think that that, like, I think that part of the reason why I was able to transition into this is because of all these other experiences that I had, and I think that that's a real plus. Like, I think that it's a real plus. And again, had this fallen into my lap when I was twenty-five or thirty, like, I'm not sure what would have happened. Yeah. For sure, for me, everything, like you said, like everything, I do believe everything kind of happens for a reason. And like this whole health, food, natural food, space. Plus influencers plus social media, like it was this perfect storm of of high end health food that I happened to get into at that time ten years ago, it would have been the granola grungy, you know, like nobody would have understood a, a fancy granola brand. It was all about the Ben and Jerry's of, mm-hmm. of granola. you know, I always joke around now that it's like we're not like Vermont we're not like Ben and Jerry's granola, we're like Manhattan granola, but like <laughs> <laughs> like it wouldn't have made. It wouldn't have worked. So a lot of it I can't take credit for. A lot of it was being in the right place at the right time with that friend saying I need a new granola supplier. With the fact that I wasn't working in fashion anymore. Because believe me, if I was working in fashion, I wasn't gonna be baking 18 hours a day. Like so, yeah, everything kind of happens for a reason. But you have to be open to learning from from whatever it is, even whatever it is that I'm doing now. If I have a bad experience, I screw something up or somebody says no or you know the, whatever it is like i try and learn from that and use it going forward because I, I also always used to say like i'll only make every mistake one time like one time that's it and and it could be a, an honest a natural mistake whatever but i learned from it and i think that that's really important like you have to you have to take even if it's a hard lesson to learn like you gotta take it and and move on and repurpose it into something good somehow
1: so right i Bring everything together with everything that you've uh, done, everything you've built so far, what is the one thing you're most proud of uh, with your business uh, throughout this journey?
2: Hmm. Um, I think when I look back, like, I think that I, when I think about, not that my hustle has dimmed now because it's just, I'm just sort of harnessing it in a different way. But at the beginning of those first few months when I was just, cold calling and getting into all these stores like i was really proud of myself for that um i was really proud of of letting that fire under my bum like really get me going and um get me into those stores so i was mm-hmm. proud of that and i'm really i'm proud that that just in general i basically created something from nothing nothing um, yeah. so just you know and as a as a female entrepreneur, there are a lot of them in the food space, I have to say, but um, I'm in really good company. And I've met some really incredible women. And that's, it feels good to be part of this kind of tribe, sort of. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just proud of what I built in general, even if nothing else happens from it, even if it doesn't get bought by, you know, Whole Foods in five years, or I end up in 5000 stores, like, Mm -hmm. I still think that that, um i learned a lot and and it's been really fun and it's and it's filled this need in in my life and i've made good food for for people to eat so
1: mm-hmm.
2: yeah, sort of all of it not a good perfect answer. perfect
1: <laughs> so you know shifting gears now with uh everything that's going on with covid of course with the protests and everything that's happened so far um you know you living in montreal and you know you you not being like a person of color how have you like really taken these you know what's going on like what's your you know what's your take on it like how can we move things forward and all and come together to really you know especially in business especially as a, as a society you know what's your what are your thoughts on it
2: my thoughts on it are I guess they're a little complicated, but um, I mean, in the first place, it's just shocking that this kind of thing is still going on. Um, Mm -hmm. And in many ways, I look at the fact that it came to light in this way during COVID. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that there's a reason for that. And in a way, I'm... I want to say happy, but I'm happy that so much of the world's attention could be focused on it in a way that, you know, real regular life kind of ground to a halt for so many people for so long. And everybody was fixated on their TVs and social media. And it was, there's never a good time for that. I don't mean what happened, but the outcry got so many more eyeballs on it then because it's not the first time you could go back to Rodney King protests like you know but nothing really changed from then so I feel like this was a watershed moment and it's because of what was going on because of COVID and because you know back to this everything happening for a reason like yeah I just hope that and it's it's so too late but I hope that this is the beginning of it really resonating for people um that, that this kind of behavior is not okay. And it certainly made us all, us pe- not people, you know, not of color, realize and study our own inherent biases in a way that we probably weren't forced to before. Um, mm-hmm. It's easy to, you know, it was easy for all of us to put a black screen on our Instagram page, but that's not the work. Like it's easy, you know, I did it, And then I, I wasn't sorry that I did it, but it was just like, this isn't enough, but I also don't know that it has to be for me, like such a public thing. Like I said to you guys before, like Mm -hmm. I, with the best of intentions could be offensive without meaning to be. And then there are the people that are really offensive, you know, who don't, who don't understand. So I don't want to be, I don't want to say anything um, wrong or bad. I think that obviously, It's, it's 2020 and this kind of behavior and in, you know, um, it's just not okay. And I think that it really woke up, hopefully a lot more people to that. And, you know, I can see all over everywhere people are posting and about, you know, different restaurants to, to patronize and different, um, books to read and about educating ourselves. And I really believe in that. I really believe in education and, and all of us um, to do better and to be better because, you know, speaking for me personally, like it's never, I don't think that I'm an offensive person, but it's certainly never been um, my intention to to offend. And I just want to make sure that, that we all do better. I don't know, going forward. I don't know.
0: I hear you, yeah.
2: Um, I don't know. It's so easy to just be like cliche and stereotypical about it. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that person. I recognize that I have a lot to learn and, and I'm personally open to it. And, you know, I read on LinkedIn and all these things and, and the things that resonate for me are when I see people who are, are basically saying, and, and they are people of color who to me are allowed to say it like, it's great that you posted that black square, but like, or Nike's a bad example, but whatever brands are now posting about, you know, we're going to do better, whatever, like show us your board of directors, make the changes. It's easy to post something. It's easy to, to put black models in your ads. Now that's yeah. not enough. That's not enough. It's lip service. And I, I feel that. So now when I, I don't know how you guys feel when I see these brands now that are, you know, having like to me it's just like honestly like really it's not that it's not good it is good you have to start somewhere the change has to start somewhere but like where were you before it was politically correct to be politically correct so Mm -hmm. that's the way my brain works is like not that i don't want to do it but i don't it's so obvious to do it now you know
1: they're calling it uh performative allyship (laughs) you know it's it's extremely convenient it's like the bare minimum you can do and um i out
2: of the room pardon i'm just um, i'm walking to t- let my dog out <laughs> okay.
1: okay but yeah it's just like performative allyship it's like the you know tossing the black square it's actually you know great that you said that because we had the same conversation as well we we're saying you know what like it's easy to post a black square and just feel like you did something but the real change is actually like enforcing the changes like you know hiring more black people making your board of directors uh black and also for you know white people to also like acknowledge like the privilege that they do have and the you know implicit bias that they have about other groups especially black people that they might not be aware of that it's like a moment of self-reflection and education to really understand you know how could we use our privilege that we have been granted with to help other people to get ahead you know So, I mean,
2: I think that that's, that the performative allyship thing is important because, you know, and again, I have 18 and 20 year olds. So I see like, if it's not on social media, it's like, it doesn't, it didn't happen. It does. It doesn't count, you know, Mm -hmm. so I get that it's important for, for brands or companies or people to post, but that's not enough. You can't Mm -hmm. stop there. And it's really, it's almost more important to do the work behind the scenes and you don't have to post about it. Like, mm-hmm. just make the change. And, and you know, but for, certainly for older generations, it's a very, it, it's, I don't know. I, I don't want to say it's harder for them. It's just that they've been raised a certain way. Uh, this sounds like I'm making excuses. I'm not making excuses. I want to learn. I think that so many people have had their eyes opened in a way that they didn't before. And, um it's not going to happen overnight. It mm-hmm. should. It should have happened a long time ago. But it's not going to happen overnight. And I think that there's a a much bigger percentage of people now that are motivated to learn and to do the work and to not stand by, you know, while while it goes on. Um, the privilege thing is, you know, it's it's layered. It's it's layered um, how everybody feels about it, and mm-hmm. and. It's not, it's not easy, but the answers are easy a little bit, and how to how to move forward. So, that's what I'm doing. Yeah,
0: you know, speaking of, to the brands, uh, a friend of mine um, had an experience that he told me about, where he saw a brand post the black square, but behind closed doors, they'd go to media companies and say, "Hey, don't put our ads on any type of content that have Black Lives Matter on it." um and try and like shun themselves away from it so there's no application of them in terms of other people's eyes like they advertise on fox so they're like hey if it's on fox don't 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 put it on there if it's on uh toronto star don't put it on you know what i'm saying Uh so brands are um are definitely uh being performative in their efforts so it's really unfortunate to see you Know but um, at the end of the day, that's them trying to be competitive, you know. They're trying to be they're trying to perform and be competitive with their competitors, you know. So it's it's just, a so sad thing
2: question of like, well, if I don't say anything, then do people assume that I'm not, you know, which is yeah. just crazy, like it's just crazy. So, and I, my knee jerk reaction was to put that black square, but then I was like, not that I didn't believe in it, but it was like, there has mm. to be more that we can do. do with this, yeah. you know, and and there is and we are but um just posting about it isn't isn't okay and i mean that's sort of like the um what's her name malrooney jessica malrooney
1: sasha exeter
2: exeter whole saga you know like that's it's almost the same thing that you're talking about like to her face she said one thing behind behind or to the world she was saying one thing oh i'm so sorry and you know i didn't realize but behind closed doors she was threatening her and threatening Mm -hmm. her livelihood like just not okay. Sort of makes me not sort of it. You know. Anyway, I wasn't a fan to start with. But she's. Um, that's a bad kind of privilege. That's a bad kind of taking it. Yeah,
1: out. it's like she's using her power that she knows that we are actually trying to like say, hey, you have this power. Like, help other people. Help Black people. Like, get opportunities because they're talented. They're creative. They're educated. But there's so many layers and so much barriers they have to get through to get those opportunities and. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing is asking ourselves, are there more, uh, Jessica Mulroney's who are doing that, you know, like are there brands that we are seeing right now? You know, for example, Alex just said, are there other people who are doing that, but behind closed doors are, you know, they're doing the opposite. So we'll never know. But I think one positive thing that we have gotten from this is that there is a stronger awareness. Uh, it's fortunate and unfortunate that it came at a time where COVID and everyone's locked in that they had no other option but to pay attention it's just like we've been advocating for this subject matter for decades and decades and people are just distracted but when you remove people's liberty away it forces them to really pay attention and to really hey listen this is awareness especially when businesses are down everyone's at home there's no other option but to pay attention so
2: and so you know you got it's it's a good thing to capitalize on Mm mm-hmm Yes, it should have happened when people weren't distracted, but at least when you got everyone's eyes, you know, on it, um, you know, th- there's always going to be backlash and there's always going to be the 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 negative naysayers and the ones that are, you know, talking about the rioters versus the protesters and, you know, spreading COVID during the protest and that kind of stuff. But it just takes your eye off the ball. Like, the fact is that there's a lot of work to be done. A lot
0: a fact that's a fact
1: yes yes
0: we're working towards wrapping up where can people find you
2: so um granolast.com has you can order online from there but it mm-hmm. also has the full um store listing of all the stores that we're in so you just put in your postal code and it'll populate whatever the closest one to you is but um we do ship everywhere uh, across north america so you can order from our website
0: Amazing and on socials.
2: Oh, yeah. So, uh, Instagram is uh at granolust underscore. Mm-hmm. We have uh Facebook, which is just facebook.com forward slash granolust, and um, I think that's it. Our website
1: sucks, sucks for your IG. You couldn't get the full granola list, someone had to take the someone
2: name. Has it, someone has it.
1: How do you feel about that? Are you, are you did that? Did that upset you?
2: Yeah, because they had it first. I think they had it first. I don't even think they do anything. I think they have a couple of posts, but uh, I hate. I them. don't mind I that, that, that underscore.
0: I love that. I see the guy that has the name Alex, and he's just a a, a, a little scum bucket. <laughs> 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 I like, uh, I'm more use fish
2: it to fry than that underscore right now. <laughs> That's yeah. a
0: fact. We definitely <laughs> do. <laughs> do. This is little things, you know, this a little frivolous <laughs> thing. Yeah. But yeah, it was a pleasure having you on. Honestly. Thank you,
2: Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you for, uh, for including me. It was really, really fun.
1: Yeah. Um, we love your energy, by the way, your edgy, energy is infectious. I can see why, like you, you'll get 170 stores, uh, with the one person
0: team.
2: caffeine related right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. You're not
0: even on caffeine. Jeez.
2: <laughs> this is just me.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up the show. Uh, hustle over everything make sure to pick up some merch i'm okay. wearing the hustle over everything hat
1: hustle over everything
0: crew neck yes indeed great, and that-
2: a granola's hat and a granola's crew neck
0: um, oh you missed out. <laughs> <your> <laughs> Man, next time if you ever do like a like a follow-up, you should send us some like some samples and you can like eat it on the podcast and we could give them some. My like, sweatshirts my are
2: cropped. They're sexy and cropped. Mm. Not really there for guys, but I'll send you some cash. Show
0: some belly button. <laughs> oh,
1: by the way, Julie, we gotta talk after uh about uh we're we're launching a new product for Hustle over everything. I think you're gonna like it. So I uh, would definitely love to have a conversation to include you and right. include granola's brand in it. I, see I would it. love that.
2: That'd be
0: good. Yes the rest yes. of the podcast guys peace, peace out let's get it